Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by Will Schroeder, my friend and partner and the CEO and founder of Startups.com. And I'm so excited about today's episode that I accidentally have stolen my wife's coffee in addition <laughs> to having my own. So this should get Double interesting fisted. by the end. Double fist in today. All right. So before we get into this next topic, I just want to let you know, what we talk about here is like 1% of the conversation. You know, really this conversation is going on all day long online at groups.startups.com where Ryan and I pretty much talk endlessly with founders about every one of these topics. So if by the end of this discussion, you like the topic and you want to dig into it a little bit more with Ryan and I, just head to groups.startups.com and we'll pick it up from there. You all know that we're doing these these wonderful founder groups um, right. and, and that a lot has been coming out of these. Um, we've been referencing them more and more, um, and it's because it's simply we're just in the middle of so much more of the action uh, with, with the startups that we work with now. And a common thread that keeps coming up, even at the earliest, earliest stages of the startups, um, are issues around culture, right? right. Uh, and typically not that it's like, we have this blossoming, awesome, beautiful culture. It's not usually that, right? It has happened, but that it's usually there's some cultural issues. Um, there's some dissension in the ranks. There's something amiss. Um, and the founders are coming and they're asking why and what do I do about it? So, Will, in your opinion, like, where do these issues stem from? It's us, right? And, and I think that's the part we have a tough time understanding as founders. Yep. You know, I, I think of it as like a, a big pond and we are the what starts the ripple right in the middle. We're the rock that starts the, the ripple of everything yes. that happens. A and great way of putting it. For a lot of us, we just don't understand the gravity of that, right? We don't understand that all these little things that we do, often unintentional, start to have this multiplying effect across the organization. Sure. And I think when we're frustrated about, you know, the politicking in the organization or we're frustrated about, you know, hey, why are people so overworked or they're stressed or all these different things, we don't understand that like this all maps back to us. Yeah. And if, if yeah. we don't set the tone, then it'll get, it'll get set in ways we don't intend, and that is a huge problem. And if things are coming off the rails, we have to reset that, which is really hard to do. And everyone's looking at us to fix it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. No, I think you nailed it. So there's, there's sort of three scenarios, right? There's the one where we're deliberately driving a good culture. There's the one where we're hopefully not deliberately, but accidentally driving a bad culture, right. um, reflection of our own actions. And then there's the one in the middle where we're not really doing anything and we're letting culture develop on its own. And um, that ends up just being a very weedy garden, right? right. Uh, in most cases. Right. So yeah, I think that those are the, the kind of the three main scenarios. I'm sure there are plenty of other ways that culture can either go great or go wrong. Um, but these are the three that we see most often. Yeah. And where I start to see it, I think where we often see it internally, I think if, if we're talking about different parts of it, of our culture, yeah. I often see it early in internal politics. Right. Sure. And, and even if there's four people in the company, it doesn't take much, right? <laughs> Where our idea. We've got two parties in America <laughs> and we've seen how, how wrong that can go. Yeah. And our idea of conflict resolution is back channeling and it's, it's all of this, this yes. kind of, um, yeah, right. It's all yeah. of this um, infighting that we allow to go on or worse to what you were saying, we actually are, are the ones causing it. Yes. Right? Yep. I'll give you an example. If I'm at lunch with some coworkers and I start bad mouthing another coworker, and I don't mean like in a horrible, horrible way, 
I mean, even relatively basic, right? Wow, yep. they really should have thought about this before they did this kind of thing, right? Yeah. The moment I say this, it's not even that big, of, like a big, big of an accusation. But the moment no. I say it in front of others, behind that person's back, I just gave permission, and this is all everything we're talking about right now. Yeah. I just gave permission for everyone at that table to do exactly the same. Exactly. And that's how right. it starts. And right. I don't yeah. And, and yeah, and you don't right, and it's not just about that individual. Right. It's about whatever individual was in their mind that they had some gripe about. Now they're going to turn around and do it. Yep. Yeah. And, and unfortunately these, these things spiral out of control really, really quickly. Um, to the point around back channeling, I want to, I want to focus on that one for a minute sure. because back channeling has always been a thing, right? It has always existed. Right. But in remote work culture, which has become the reality for the vast majority of us. Right. Especially in startup land. Right. Yep. There are very few startups who are like, nope, we're going to huddle together in an office. Right. You know, safety be damned. Um, it's even worse. Right. Because there used to be some at least subtle safeguards against this. Right. Like so and so just walked into so and so's office. Right. Right. So There's you sort physicality. of had this sense. Right. You know, yeah, you can yeah, yeah. see that like, oh, I know why they, they're in there complaining about me or they're in there talking about so and so. You don't have that visibility anymore right? Between Zoom and Slack and whatever, there's far more anonymous communication, which when managed correctly can be really empowering, can be really great, right? Sure. But when managed poorly, when it just turns into instant capability for back channeling, right? right? And, and I've talked about this in other episodes, you know, I, I've really mixed feelings about our ability to semi-synchronously communicate um, the, the challenge it's posed for me is that people don't think as much before they compose something, right? Sure. The amount of thought that used to go into an email or before you picked up the phone and got on, on, on the phone with somebody, there was a significant amount of preparation for that, right? You thought about right. what you were going to say. You kind of plot out your conversation. You were sort of sure about what you were going to say. And in a lot of cases you decided not to hit send or you sure, decided sure, not sure. to dial the phone. With Slack, it's like, or, or I'm not picking on Slack, any, any of these semi-synchronous chat platforms that we're now using to fire messages back and forth, there's a lot of times there's very little thought put into it, right? And particularly where this comes about like little complaints. I've recently had to have this conversation with a couple people and I, I said like, hey, um, we need to have a, you know, a, a chat about how you're feeling. I've just noticed that the last couple times that you've you've pinged me, it's it's been you know it, it's been on, on the negative side. I want you know, are you okay? Right. And they were like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Like I just I didn't notice. And I, and I just like scroll back up and like, well, th these are the last three messages you sent me. So like it's just setting a pattern that like there's something off. And they're like, right, mm, those just happen to be the three things that I sent. Right. So right. we're making inferences based on very small bits of data. And that can be really dangerous. And I mean, particularly when we get into the, the, the instant capability of back channeling, the lack of context sometimes, that lack of emotion, we talk about how flat this stuff is, this can lead to things going off the rails really fast, even if that wasn't the intention, right? And that's where it gets even more dangerous, right? I think there was nothing meant by those messages. That person right. wasn't feeling any particular way. It just happened to be the last three things they sent me. Right. Well, you know, for whatever reason, in that moment, they ping me. Right. And yet I can look at that and go, oh, we've got a problem here. Need to go into crisis mode. Need to react. Right. Complete false alarm. Right. Right. But this is what this is the situation that we're in. And so I think we need to be extra mindful of 
how easy it is for these things to go wrong because of the context that we're in right now with things still being relatively remote due to COVID. Um, out of necessity or just out of decision now, a lot of people can go back to office and are deciding not to. Um, this is our reality, right? So we need to be very, very cognizant of how that impacts culture. Well, the other side of it is, like, we're talking like internal politics and back-channeling. Yeah. I think another thing that becomes toxic in the organization, uh, you often see this in client-facing groups right? Uh, customer service roles or sales yes. roles, et cetera, Oof. where they start to demonize the client, right? The customer, <laughs> yep. right? Um, yep. Oh, that client's so shitty. And then everybody piles on, right? Right. How do you think that impacts the culture, right? If, yeah. if we have a culture of being shitty, right? right? How does that get better, right? Yeah. And we've seen this time and time again, where if we allow it, if we say yes, that's okay to, you know, to basically make fun of a customer or kind of lash out at a customer behind their back, right? Yep. Our culture starts to deteriorate. And yes. from, from a, a founder standpoint, it's not that we're encouraging it. We're allowing it. Yeah. And by allowing it, it's as good as encouraging it. That's it. That's it. And, and, and it's, it's a tough decision, right? Because in, in that moment, right, the founder is the founder. You're sitting there and you're, you're hearing this. And what you're understanding is there's, there's not necessarily a bunch of pent-up aggression around this individual client or something, right? Maybe, maybe there is. Maybe right. there is. Maybe there isn't. But it's a bit of a steam valve, right? The intention of that person isn't to create a toxic environment where every time we say the word client, we have immediately form like a, a, a Viking shield wall um, and, and, and bristle up, right? That's not their intent. They just need to let off some steam, Right. right. Back to the point around like the three Slack messages that I got, then I drew the line. I was like, ooh, there's a problem here. Not necessarily, right? But to your point, if we don't do something about it, it's as good as giving permission. It's as good as encouraging it. Um, but I think it's important to remember that there's a reason for that to begin with. And so let's map that back to, to us as the founders and what it was that we did or didn't do to encourage like what, what is it you would have done to keep that from happening in the first place, right? Like of course we can act in the moment it happens, but you know, you know, I both love prevention versus cure. So like, what is it that we have to do as founders to make sure that, and this is just one out of a million scenarios, right? So we don't need to go too, too far into this, but like, this is a good one. And then this is one that hits home for me particularly, and I'm sure for you as well, because we're not selling cars, right? In our business, we do what we do because we love founders, right? And so if we do come across a situation where somebody's talking ill of a client or something, you know, they're, 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 they're bashing an idea or whatever it is, that hits me personally, right? Because I know I've been on the other side of that. I've been on the receiving end of that same type of thought or treatment. And so I take this really, really seriously. But so, you know, what, what do you think we've done well as an organization to preempt that? Well, I think... Early on, it was recognizing that when we let it fester, it has so much consequence. Yeah, and I for think sure. we talked about this in another episode about around toxic culture. We and did. It, often it, it it resonates most with a single person, and by the way, sometimes that's us, right? But what we found yes. was, let's say, let's say you have a customer service manager, and the customer service manager has started to create permission within the group to start to to bash clients, right? Yeah, and, right. And, by way of that, maybe we've piled on in a case. We only need to pile on once to basically say, hey, guys, it's, it's good to do this or it's okay to do yes. this. And yep. so after that, after we've done that, 
we then have broadcast that to the entire customer service group that bashing our clients is just perfectly okay. Yeah. And that's how it starts. And we don't, yep. we don't notice when it starts, but we notice when it festers, right? Sure. And that whole organization is talking shit about clients all the time and they're sending memes and all this other bullshit. Yes. And yep. you're like, well, what happened? What that's happened? on yeah. us. That's exactly. not their fault. That's our fault. Yeah, that's right? our fault. I just, I just, just helped a founder through a situation like this about three weeks ago um, where they had had exactly the situation occur where all of a sudden their customer retention team had like this just absolutely toxic feeling about the, their their clients, the way they were talking. And these are the people who are supposed to be retaining the clients, mind you, right? So this is right. a really, really bad place for this to occur. And as I started to dig in with the founder, what we discovered was that a lot of this had to do with the KPIs that they had set for this retention team. And there was sort of clients that we should retain and your KPIs are based on that. Like these people shouldn't leave. And then there's some others where like, it's okay if these folks leave because they weren't the right fit. The, you know, it was, they were, you know, more cost than, right. Based on the mix of services that they had, they were going to cost us more money. They were going to make us or whatever. And so what they, what we realized was that in almost all cases, they were simply using this aggressive language and, and, and this, this vitriol as a way to justify edge uh, cases that were close to the line. Right. Sure. So it was basically, um, we didn't retain this client, but here's why they sucked. They were awful. They were shitty people. We wouldn't want them around anyways. Right. And it was, it was because of the structure they'd been placed in that they felt forced to do this to justify their actions. Right. And so a couple of quick corrections and, and all of a sudden what happens three weeks later, email yesterday from, from the founder saying this is cleared up to like 80, 90% already. Right. Just right. by changing the way we talked about the KPIs and, and what was necessary to justify letting a client go or not being penalized for, for, for losing a retained client. And all of a sudden things are better. Right. And that mapped back to the founder because she was the one who had set the KPIs for that team. So it, like you said, this often maps back to us, um, but sometimes so circuitously that it takes a real deep dive to be able to see where it came from. Right. I think, look, uh, in our organization, and you know, I'll, I'll point the, the, the camera at us. In our organization, on numerous occasions, we started to see this fester. We started to see what I'd call a sewing circle of folks that would you know, yep. get together and kind of like undermine whatever decisions were made or, or yes. just basically talk shit about other people. And it sucked. Yeah. And every time you know, we try to do some course correction, et cetera, and every time it kind of works. But yeah. you know what worked? Parting company with the people that were, were acting like that. Yep. And by way of that, sending a message to the rest of the organization, we're actually not okay with it. Right. right. Oh, it, I mean, we've talked about this before, but we, we, we literally wrote into our, our, our employee handbook, right? We don't work with jerks. Right. 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 Like that's, it's literally stated as like one of the, and that's not just like in, in, in the body copy. That's one of the sections. Right. Right. Like, right. And we're right. serious about that. Got um, you know, to your point, parting company was usually the way that we, that we actually fixed the problem. I think we were able to suppress it. Um, we were able to reduce it. Um, and I think we've always been pretty good about trying to identify, like, what is the true source of this first and seeing if we can address that, right? Is there anything that we're doing that's, that's creating that, that's enabling that? And, and can we eliminate that? If it turns out that the source isn't one of the founders, then it was essentially, okay, what is the origin of this? And, you know, oftentimes you talked about a sewing circle. 
Um, but in almost every sewing circle that we identified, there was also a ringleader, right? Right. It emanated from one person and then, you know, just like the, the, the high school lunch table, all of a sudden everybody's on the same page. Everybody's saying the same things. Everybody's dressed in the same, right? It just tends to go that way, right? To become socially accepted and to stay in your circle, you, you adopt the, the, the tone and tenor of the loudest voice. Right. And so in, in a lot of cases, that was the action that we had to take was to identify the ringleader. And again, first try to address, and I'd say that as an organization, we definitely err on the side of, of giving people the second, third, and fourth chance. Um, and then when that didn't work, parting company. And it was always amazing how quickly that solved the problem. Not only because of the message it sent, because I heard you say that, and I absolutely agree that it does send a message, but sometimes just removing, right, that, that whatever that thing was that was creating that vibration in the first place, all of a sudden the rest of the noise stopped too. And that was enough, right? It wasn't necessarily that it was like, oh, if I keep this up, I'm going to get fired too. It was that person's no longer around. Therefore, we no longer need to have these shitty conversations. We can just go back to being happy people who enjoy our jobs. And I think we did a good job of looking at our own behaviors too and sure. looking at what was driving that behavior. And like, again, if, if we exude the same behavior, if, you know, at a lunch or at a dinner, you know, uh, yep. time out with, with folks, we start acting shitty as well. And then we see them act shitty. You know, it's kind of like when you swear in front of your kids and then all of a sudden your kids start swearing, right? Well, where do you think that came from, right? Like, oh, so I know. <laughs> when, I, when I think about it- I know it, precisely where that came from. It's not my wife. And so when I think about it, I think, okay, um, let me start with me. What did I do wrong here, right? Yep. And it's easy to say, oh, they were shitty, but it's harder to say, well, they got that from somewhere as well. And if it was even 1% me, let me fix that first, right? right? And then go across the organization. And so the toxic politics are definitely one big part of, of the startup culture and kind of how we let that develop. And I think we need yeah. to take ownership. But another side of it is, when we look across the organization and people are overworked, they're burnt out, they're mentally yep. just stressed as hell, where do you think that comes from, right? <laughs> totally different yep. aspect of the organization. Also yep. on us, right? Every time, every time. You know, by the way, I just want to mention if what we're talking about today sounds like the kind of discussion you wish you were having more often, you actually can. You know, we're online all day every day working through exactly these types of topics with founders just like you. So any question you would have or maybe some problem you just want to work through, we're here and we love this stuff. And we're easy to find, you know, head over to groups.startups.com and let's just start talking. Yep. I remember, you know, you know, when we, we figured out a lot of things over time, right? But I remember passive aggressive jokes being kicked around when people would leave the office at, you know, five exactly. o'clock and we're like, Oh, yep. half day today, Nelson. Right. 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 Which harmless in, in its, in its, in its essence. And yet the message that that sends to that individual and the message that that sends to everybody else that heard that was, this is a behavior that is unacceptable. You shouldn't do this. Meanwhile, Nelson's thinking, we talked about this three days ago. Um, I, I have to take uh, my 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 wife for a prenatal visit, right? Like I, this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now, right? right? But without that context, nobody else knows that, right? And so I think that you know this this it's easy to create a culture of overwork, um, right? Said differently, we've been working very hard over the last couple of years. Uh, 
last couple, what is it, six or seven now, right, um, right. to try to create a culture of, of work-life blend, work-life balance, whatever you want to call that. Um, and, and that's hard to create, which is funny, right? right? You, would, you would think that that would be easy, right? Giving people flexibility and freedom um, is one thing. Getting them to exercise it is, is totally different, right? And again, some of that goes back to us saying, we want you to be more flexible. We want you to have more freedom. We want you to have time off. We want you to take downtime. And then they hear that, but what they see is that it's been two years since you've taken a real vacation. It's been a year and a half since I've taken more than three days off in a row, right? Like, so we're saying one thing and then we're absolutely doing something else. And to their credit, our folks are smart enough to go, I probably better just reflect what they're doing. That feels safer, right? So again, it becomes a reflection of our own behaviors. And so when we start to see burnout, um, <laughs> probably a great way of identifying founder burnout, right, which we're often not good at seeing before it exists, is to look at the organization and say, organizationally, are we a bit burnout? Because if we are, I'm probably at least three steps ahead on that spectrum, right? And we just don't do that. I think part of where that comes from is we want to be this hard charging, grow fast, right? You know, yep. kind of organization. And there's a lot of merit to a lot of that. Sure. But I don't think any of us say to ourselves, we want to be this hard charging organization, but wait a minute, that's going to cost a lot from our people. Yes. Right. Yep. It's going to cost relationships in, you know, for themselves. Um, it's going to cost their, their physical health, their mental health, their emotional health, all of these things. And if we were to say, do you want a culture that sacrifices all of that for the growth of the company? I don't think a lot of founders would say, oh yeah, absolutely. Some would, right? To be fair, some, yeah. Elon yep. Musk would, some, right? He, yeah. He's perfectly okay with that. <laughs> yes, but I think some, but, some would. But I think for a lot of founders, that's not really what we wanted to, to build, right? We, wanted, we didn't right. want to build a culture at the expense of our staff, right? And so I think if, if we are in hard charging, kill ourselves mode, we're basically saying everyone else has to be in hard charging, kill ourselves mode. And I did this for a long time, right? I yeah. was, I was guy who was the first person in the office, the last person to leave. Right. And I prided right. myself on that. Yep. But what message was I sending to everybody else? Let me be clear. I was sending a message that you have to work harder than I did. Nobody did by the way. So the message didn't work. Uh, but, but, but right. I was, I was sending that I was, I was saying, yep. um, if, if you're not here early, if you're not here late, you've done something wrong. We used to count dev output in terms of how many monster energy drinks were on their desk by the end of the day, right? <laughs> like, not we were good. so immature. I mean, yeah. to be fair, we, we didn't really understand that this hard charging kind of kill yourself mentality ended yeah. in the part where you we, we were like killing your, every part of your life, right? And, and I regret, I genuinely regret having put that burden on everybody. Yeah. And I just don't know that we were ever a better organization across any of the companies that I, that I imposed it on for it. I, I just, yeah. I can't look back and say, oh, we succeeded so much better because I, I drove everybody into the ground. And, and I don't think I realized that my actions were so incumbent on how everyone else was going to act accordingly. It's, it's, it's painful. It is. It is. And I think that, you know, maturity is, is definitely a key part of this, right? I think that I, I'm going back to, to my, my early startups. 
certainly a lack of maturity across the board, like in, in every sense of the word, right? I just, I, I had very little experience as, as most of us did when we first started doing this. Like how would you have startup experience until you've done a startup? Um, there's, there's not a class that teaches it, at least not well. Um, so I was immature in so many ways in terms of my, my interactions, in terms of my, my own behaviors, um, what was going on in my, my personal life and, and how that was perceived versus my, my work life. And I certainly did not understand how everybody else in the organization was looking up to me, right? At, right. at some point, you do start to realize that there's a bit of stratification there. And, and I think you, you, use this, you use this beautifully, which is that, you know, we, we are the, the cultural North Star. We're, we're the North Star for a lot of things in the organization, right? But culture is right. a big one of those. And I didn't realize, in my mind, I wasn't high enough in the sky to be a North Star for anything, right? Because in my first startup, I had essentially hired a bunch of my friends. And so we were all on the same level in my mind. And yet in their minds, because I was the one who had started this, I was the one who was signing paychecks. I was the one who was making the decisions. I was, I was at least a rank above and therefore setting the tone, pace and tenor for the organization. And, and of course now that's obvious. And, and that is the way it should have been. However, had I realized the strength and power that my behaviors, my actions or inactions had at that time, I probably would have behaved differently, right? I was immature. I wasn't stupid. Um, I didn't know yet. I was ignorant, um, but, but not dumb, right? It was, I was acting in a way according to what I understood at the time, right? Had I known, had I been able to recognize the differences, I would have been able to act differently, right? And so I think this is, this is important to spread with, with early founders right now because it's a great chance for them to say, hey, I, you know, like to think of myself as a buddy with the rest of my team, but let's make sure that the rest of the team sees me that way and isn't going to immediately reflect all of my behaviors, good and bad. Um, and, and if they are, let's make sure I skew to the good side. Right. And that was just something that just took time to understand that I was being put on this pedestal for better, for worse uh, early on, definitely for worse. Um, but that was really, you know, where, where that stemmed from, right. And it created cultural issues that then had to be corrected. And again, at a time where I was ill prepared to do so because of lack of maturity, lack of experience and having done it before. You know, you use the word pedestal. I think I'd also add to that spotlight. The spotlight oh, yeah. is on us, right? <laughs> yep. Good or bad. Unfortunately, yep. usually bad, right? Yeah. In other words, if we're out there, right? traveling the world and taking selfies of all these amazing places we're at while our staff is back at home, you know, grueling through all their shit. They're yeah. not going, you know, what? that's so awesome that you're working on your tan, right? I'm so glad, right. you know, you got to go to Greece right now, right? That's yeah. not the way they're thinking, right? It, yeah. it, it would sound nice. That's not the way they're thinking. Here's what they're thinking. Fuck you, right? <laughs> Here I am. I'm stuck in my office, right? While you're doing whatever it is you're doing. Yep. And I got to yep. tell you, I've got 30 years of job history to prove it, right? There was no version where like I show up at the work in a Lamborghini and I was like, oh right. man, it's so good that you have a Lamborghini, Will. Let me work yeah. harder, right? right? Or when we were living in Beverly Hills, there was no version where they're like, oh my God, that's so cool that you got this cool house in Beverly Hills. I'm glad I'm in Ohio killing myself, right? Yeah. Like yeah. there's a spotlight on it, right? Now, I'll give the other side of it. I was talking to a founder friend who listens to the podcast. So uh, I am talking about you right now. Uh, and I was talking to a founder friend and I was saying, look, there's no version, 
you've done really well. There's no version where that your staff is going to say to themselves, you've earned this, you know, you deserve to be doing what you're doing, you know, kind of traveling right. around the world type thing. Right. Um, they're going to look at it as fuck you. Right. And, yep. and is it right or wrong? Doesn't matter. Right. Doesn't matter. The truth is spotlights on you and yep. whatever you do has implication. Right. Yeah. So part of this, everyone's burnt out, but you know what you're really creating culturally resentment. Yes. That's awesome. Right? right. Here's what you want. You want a bunch of people on the staff that are working hard that absolutely resent you as a founder because <laughs> you're living this, you know, amazing lifestyle while they're killing yeah. themselves. Right. Right. No version where, where, where them being overworked and their lack of mental well-being works out well for you. You know what I mean? No, no, it, it isn't. And it's, it's, uh, it's a tough line, right? It's a fine line because, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Founder self-care is also really important. So right. you do need those things, right? You you do need uh, okay. Maybe you don't need the Lamborghini. Although I would I would argue it probably saved you hours of commuting time um, no, every year, very just based commute. on the speed, right? Um, but you do need those those grease moments. You do need those 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 getaways. You do need to work on that tan sometimes because you're still a human and right. and you need to maintain that founder well being because again, it's a reflection on the rest of the company. Um, I think where it breaks is where if, if you're setting the expectation that I get to do this and the rest of you need to keep just nose to the grindstone, that's a really bad message, right? And so again, this is where I think we've tried to create an environment over the last um, half decade more um, around saying, look, you do need to take your time off. We want you to right. go on vacation. We want right. you to have downtime. If you need a personal day, take a personal day. By all means, what we don't want is the 25% version of you dragging ass into the office or to your laptop every day simply because you're burnt out. You know, it's interesting though, because you're talking about being true to who you are. And yep. yet, I think when we think about the culture, if we can't allow people to be true to who they are, which by the way is a new thing. We've talked about that before too. Like, yes. you know, being able to, to come to the workplace and be vulnerable and be open and not be ashamed of who you are, especially yep. in the era of COVID where it's like, yeah. yeah, there are kids running behind me. Guess what? I have kids. It's <laughs> yeah. part of my life and they are here. Yeah. Um, I think that for, for us as founders, the more we start to open up, yeah. the more we allow other people in the organization to follow suit. And I yes. think, I think there's a strong cost to not doing that. I think, and we 100%. talked about this on, on previous episodes, I think at which point we make it so that other people can't, you know, kind of open up and be themselves. It costs us because they're not, a, they're not willing to admit failures. They're not willing to, to admit their insecurities, which means we can't address it. It's a huge issue. It is. It is. And, and, and to your point, this is a fairly new phenomenon where it's, it's even, you know, allowed, right? If, right. You, if you look back at what company culture meant uh, 15 years ago, uh, probably right. not even that far back, but let's go back 15 or 20 years. I remember making trips to Cincinnati and I could literally spot and guess who worked for P&G at the time. Because sure. there, there was literally a haircut and a dress style and a way you <laughs> talked and a place you went for lunch. It was so ingrained. And so Sweet, the idea of company culture at that time was homogeneity, right? Yeah, Creating yeah, a company yeah, yeah. culture meant homogenizing. Right. Right. Thank goodness we're, we're at a point now where strong company culture is, is built on, on diversity. 
and right. and 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 acceptance, right. right? But this is still a very new thing. It's the right thing, but it's still a very new thing. And so people have been trained to not be vulnerable. They've been trained right. to not show their true selves because that put them at danger in these other cultures, right? Had I tried to go to work for P&G and been my true self, it would have been the shortest tenured employee <laughs> in their history, I think, right? I'm like, I right, look right. bad in a flat top, right? I'm right, not right, getting right. that haircut. Uh, so like, I think that it's, it's still going to take a significant amount of time. Um, but to your point, it still maps back to the founder, right? Being true to who you are and, and being vulnerable and, and showing that, but doing it in a way that also makes other people comfortable to show their true selves. Because where this can go awry, again, is that people assume that what they need to do is simply reflect you. Why? Because that's what they've been trained to do. If they've been in the workforce for more than five years, five years ago, this is what you had to do, right? You just reflected the rest of the culture. This is what the culture is, so therefore I must be like this to fit in here so that I can maintain my position here, right? So right. yes, we have to be our true selves, um, we have to do it in a way that leaves room for other people to be their true selves, regardless of how different that is from our true selves as the founder. Not easy, by the way. Look, I, I think part of that is just admitting people make mistakes, right? For the longest time, I was totally unwilling uh, to say to the organization that I made mistakes, and I made yeah. plenty of mistakes, right? Yeah. And what happens, we talked about this where... If, if I'm not willing to make a mistake and own up to it and be vulnerable about it, no one else is. And where is that a problem? It means everybody else is basically covering up their stuff. So I can't address right. anything, right? Exactly. We didn't launch on time. No one's willing to admit why, right? Right. And, and so what happens? I can't figure out how to address it. And right. once I started saying to the organization, hey, like, here's where I made a colossal mistake. They're like, wait, I can admit that stuff? Like, yeah, yeah. you can. Because we all make mistakes. Like, this is part of what, what this entire culture is about. Right. And when we start to do that, when we start to allow people permission and latitude to make mistakes, to be vulnerable about who they are and kind of where their headspace is at, it allows us to, one, relate to each other, but yep. second, to confer with each other and say, oh, shit, right. okay, I, I get why, why you're thinking that, you're, yes. why you're feeling that, and I can go address it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's super important because when, when these things just become obfuscated, there's nothing we can do about it. Right. To your right. point, if, if, thing, if everything just gets hidden or swept behind the rug or we have a, a culture of, you know, cover each other's back so that, you know, nobody really knows what's going on. So nobody can get in trouble. Like what trouble? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we're in, we're, we're, we're not, you know, and then again, I, I use accountants as an example all the time. I feel bad about this, but we're, we're not a, a CPA firm, right? Where right. a mistake shouldn't be made because it's, it's a technical job and you've gone through plenty of years of training. Like the numbers are what they are. Don't make mistakes, but like we're building something that never existed before. A startup is essentially a collections of mis a collection of mistakes that right. get corrected to the point where sometimes you make money. Right. Right. <laughs> like, right. That's what this is. We have, we are just constantly making mistakes and then, and then correcting for them. Um, if we can address the core of where the mistakes come from. Now, some mistakes are unavoidable. You have to try before you know whether it's right or wrong. 
Right. Then there are things like just not getting things done on time or not getting things done at all. That's probably a different issue um, and it needs to be addressed, but we have to understand what the root cause of that is. And if people aren't comfortable enough to say like, look, I keep pushing this deadline back because I'm really scared about my competency level in this category and I don't want to make a big mistake here. That's a conversation that needs to be had, right? Right. We talk about it. Like, look, I'm okay that you don't know yet and I'm willing to risk and we're willing to try and it's okay. So we're going to, we're going to move forward with that. Or you might say, actually, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's find somebody who knows more about this. Let's do that. Right. right. Or if it's simply like, my kids went back to school last week and I've constantly been shuffling myself between Zoom meetings. That, that might be me. I might be, I might be uh, talking about myself right now. Um, that's a different issue, right? And that's a short-lived one, right? It's an adjustment period. But if you don't know that, you just see somebody all of a sudden slipping on deadlines or whatever, um, and, and they're making excuses for it instead of just being vulnerable and saying like, look, I'm just, I'm just struggling right now to find the time to get everything done, different issue. We can address that in a lot of ways. Can we throw somebody at you to help? Can we shift your deadlines? Is this impacting somebody else's deadline? If so, right. let's address that, right? But again, got to come from a place of honesty. It's got to come from a place of vulnerability. Um, and like circling all the way back, we've said this a hundred times probably already today, that starts with us, right? It's a reflection of how we treat those things right. and how open and honest we are about these things. Right. And so, so here's what I would say. As founders, we're, we're in a position where we can have so much impact across the, the culture and the organization. Mm. Um, unfortunately, it can be for good or evil. Yeah. And, <laughs> and left unchecked, left unchecked, it yep. goes evil fast. We only it get does. to a good place in culture with a deliberate set of actions, which when we look at ourselves and we say, what is every action that I take and how does that affect everyone else? Being, being very self-aware in this process, only then can we truly build the kind of culture that we want to build for the long term and is truly healthy for everybody on the team. All right, so that was fun. But let's actually keep this conversation going. You've heard what we think about this, but you know, Ryan and I would really like to hear what you think. And we're online like all day long, pretty much talking about every startup topic you could think of from fundraising to customer acquisition to just really how to get all of this crazy startup stuff out of your head. And there's tons of other founders just like you. They're weighing in on these topics. So you'll get a chance to just hang out and meet some really smart founders. We're also super, super easy to find. You head over to groups.startups.com and let Ryan and I hear what's on your mind. Let's get to know each other a little bit and let's just start having more of these conversations.